Father in heaven, we've gathered today. We've been called here by you. We know that it is your hand at work. We know that even though we make choices and we come to, uh, we call things, we say we're going to do this or we're going to do that, we believe, Lord, that you oversee and you've drawn us here for a reason. You've called us here this day to celebrate. You've called some of us here this day to be set free. You've called others of us here this day to discover anew who you are. We thank you, Lord, for that. We thank you for your great gifts, your great love. We thank you for your word. We thank you for Jesus Christ, the Son of God. And now, Lord, as we look into your word and as we seek to apply it to real life, I pray that you would touch us, change our hearts today. In Jesus' name, amen. We have all these doors in front of us. And you get the theme of the day is doors. But then you have this other door that you can see on this screen behind me. It's the door of a vault. It's a door of a bank vault. It's a door that is impenetrable. It's a door that cannot be opened except by someone who has the right combination or the right key. Someone who is able to do it. It is a door that is made to keep someone out or to keep someone in. That's the door of death. Death is like that. Death is like a bank vault door to which we do not have the key. It is a door that no one here can open. It is a door that no human being is able to open. We've tried. God alone has the key. God is the giver of life, and God is able to open the door of death and give life out of death. That's what this Resurrection Day is about. There was another door that sealed a tomb, and that huge stone was as impenetrable as this bank vault door. But it was opened from the inside. The story is this. Jesus Christ, God's Son, came to earth, was born as a baby, was raised, grew up, and then spent three years in ministry here on earth. Everywhere he went, he spoke to people, he gave them the truth of God's word, and people said to one another, no one ever spoke like this before. We've never heard anyone speak as he speaks. And he changed every life that he came in contact with. Every life was touched by him. Every life was changed in some way. Literally thousands of people found physical healing. But the physical healing was just the beginning. It was just the releasing of God's power in their lives. It was just the evidence of it because what really God wanted to do, what he really wanted to do, was to give them eternal life. Life that never ended. And so we know the story. How that Jesus was arrested, taken to a trial, and then sent to a cross. 
As we said earlier today, the Creator was crucified by His own creation, creation, His own creatures. And He was nailed to a cross. And we just celebrated the day we call Good Friday, and it's such a strange name because if you know the meaning behind Good Friday, it is because it's a day that someone died. And yet we celebrate that day as the day of independence, the day in which all of our sin was paid for on the cross. Your sin, my sin, everything that you are ashamed of, everything that you have said, I ought not to have done that, I should not have done that, Jesus died for it. And even those things that we don't know about, he died for it. He took on himself the payment for your sin. He was taken down from that cross that Friday and placed in a tomb with a vault door. He was dead. But he came to life on the third day. From the inside out, that stone was blown away out of the door and life overcame death. That is why we are here today. We are here to celebrate that story, which is a true story, which is the day of liberation. This is the day in which we consider doors. We think about the door to the tomb that was opened by Jesus Christ. We think about that, and we consider that death has been defeated. Now, there's something else I want to look at. You see, the Bible follows up on the death and resurrection of Jesus. And we know that he appeared to upward of 500 people at one time, it tells us, in one place. This was no hallucination of a few. This was true fact. A dead man was alive. And as he walked among them, they found that the life that was in him, that life that blew the door off the tomb, was still very active, was still available to all who would come to him. It tells us in the book of Ephesians, as Paul finished this up, and if you have your Bibles, I'd like you to turn there with me in the first chapter of Ephesians. Paul is writing a letter. The Apostle Paul is writing a letter to a church. And he wants them to grasp all that they have, all the riches that they have in Jesus. Because the question that many of you have today is, so what? What do I have in Jesus? How does this nice story affect me? It makes me feel good, but what does it do for me in real life, in real terms? And this is what we want to look at today. As Paul wrote this letter, I'm going to read the whole paragraph and then focus just on two verses. Paul is speaking, and he said, For this reason, verse 15, Because I have heard of your faith in the Lord Jesus and your love toward all the saints. I do not cease to give thanks for you, remembering you in my prayers, that the God of our Lord Jesus Christ, the Father of glory, may give you a spirit of wisdom and of revelation in the knowledge of him, having the eyes of your hearts enlightened, that you may know what is the hope to which he has called you, what are the riches of his glorious inheritance in the saints, what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe, according to the working of his might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead and seated him at his right hand in the heavenly places, far above all rule and authority, power and dominion, and above every name that is named, not only in this age, 
but also in the one to come. And he put all things under his feet and gave him his head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Now that was a mouthful. What Paul said was incredible. All of these things, we're only going to look at just two verses out of that. Two that speak about the effect of this day, of this resurrection upon you, upon everyone on earth. Those verses are 19, verses 19 and 20. And what is the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe? According to the working of his great might, that he worked in Christ when he raised him from the dead. The immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. If you have a Bible that you underline in, and I hope you do, you should underline those words. Immeasurable greatness. The immeasurable greatness of his power. Paul is saying he wants us to understand that. He wants us to grasp the concept. He wants us to know it, not just as a theory, but as a fact applied to your life. How great is the power of God? Paul says that he wants us each to understand the immeasurable greatness of that power. When Paul is writing this, you get the idea that he's, he's searching for words. He's trying to find the right word that expresses this concept that is beyond expressing. And so he searches for several words. This word immeasurable is literally exceeding greatness, or it means something that is so great that it covers everything else. It far surpasses anything else that comes close it covers it over. It makes it insignificant. That's the word he used. And we translate that immeasurable. This word greatness, Greek word megathos, we get our word mega from this, and we put mega in front of something, and we know it's something. It's mega. It's big. And we play with that word. Paul combines exceeding greatness with greatness, exceeding, exceeding greatness. Alfred Nobel was a Swedish chemist and an engineer and an innovator, and he developed through his company a chemical compound that was used primarily in mining. It was explosive. It had great power that was unleashed but it was also safe to transport it. He called it dynamite. It comes from a, the Greek word dunamis, power. Now we can equate the explosive power of dynamite with this Greek word that Paul chose. The exceeding greatness of his power. That power that moves earth, moves boulders, splits them as if they are nothing. You begin to get an idea of the concept that Paul is trying to communicate here. Immeasurable greatness of his power. So if you're one of those who's come, who you've come on Easter and, and you say, well, okay, it's another day, it's a big day, everybody gets excited about it, I still don't understand it, it's because you've not begun to grasp the immeasurable greatness of the power of God that was at work and that he wants to release in you. He wants to use that power in your life. That's the astounding thing. This is not just something that you observe from afar. 
This is something that God wants you to experience. That's why Paul is praying. I pray that you know this, that you understand it, not just as a theory, but that you experience this in your life. Immeasurable greatness. You say, well, fine, Jesus rose from the dead. How is that relevant to my daily battles? How does that help me to go through the day? Well, that's what I want to look at these doors. This will help us to understand the concept. We've seen the door of the tomb, and we know that that was blasted open. But there are some other ideas, some other things that we all deal with to which we need to apply this concept of the immeasurable greatness of his power toward us who believe. Resurrection power is great enough to repair identity. You say, well, what's that? how does that fit with today? You know one of the fastest growing crimes, in fact, just this last week, someone called me up and said, do you know, Mr. Gropp, that identity theft is one of the fastest growing crimes? Yes, I do. And, and he was trying to sell me something, and I'm not sure. Maybe he wanted me to send, me, send him information so that he could steal my identity. I don't know. But identity theft is something that we all worry about. We fret about it because we know that it is, at the very, very least, really inconvenient. And someone who's experienced that has told me, oh, it costs all kinds of time and even money, and it can cost thousands of dollars and take months and months of time just to work it all out because someone stole your identity. There is a sense, a very real sense, in which that's happened to every one of us. Sin entering into the world stole your identity. You see, you were made in the image of God. You were made to be like Him, to reflect His glory his personhood. And sin in the world, in your heart, has changed that image. It's cracked the mirror. It's damaged it. It twisted the picture. And so this matter of identity is a very important thing to us. Sin damages our identity. It damaged our relationship with God, first of all. Adam and Eve used to walk and talk with God in the Garden of Eden, and they no longer could do that. They hid from him because they chose to rebel against him. And not only did they not have a, a connection with God as they once had, but their connection with each other was broken. This was the ideal couple. And yet, suddenly they found that they were ashamed of being in each other's presence. They had never known that experience before sin came in. Not only did they have a broken relationship with God and with each other, but their own self-understanding was damaged. To this day, you and I wrestle with who are we? We wrestle with our identity. And you saw in that first video clip this young woman who struggled with the idea of who she was. How could she be more perfect? How could she do better? And she began to damage herself because her identity was damaged. This door with the mirrors is the door of identity. It's our reflection. It's where we look and we see who we are. And that door shows that we are damaged because of sin. 
but not only because of our sin, but the sin of others as well. A young woman I know grew up in a family that, from the outside, you would say this is an average normal family. But behind the doors of the family, there was a relentless pounding, a relentless repeating of the same kind of words and even the same words, you're worth nothing, you are no good, you are trash. And she heard this time and time and time and time again, and it broke her heart. To the point where at one point she said, I cannot bear this any longer. I cannot bear to be in this place where I'm under constant attack. And she left her family. God is rebuilding. God is restoring her identity in Jesus. It is one of those things that every one of us wrestles with. Some of you, no doubt, have experienced other kinds of emotional abuse at home or in other places. Some of you have been sexually abused in the place where you should be safe. And your identity is damaged. And you say to yourself, I'm just not worth anything. Like the woman at the well, who had lived in constant pursuit of who she was. And she met Jesus, and uh, he said, go and bring your husband. And, and she said, I have no husband. He said, that's right. You've had five husbands, and the man you live with now is not your husband. She was constantly searching for that fulfillment. And it was not until she met Jesus that she found that her identity was restored. It was made whole again. And she ran into the town to tell everyone, I've met him. I've met the man who's told me everything I've done. And he loves me anyway. He's not using me. He's not abusing me. You see, God has a very different view of you than we tend to have of ourselves. He sees you as his creation. He made you. He loves you intensely. The proof of that great love was that he sent his son Jesus to die for you. Nothing stopped him. He didn't say, well, let's see if we can find an easier way to do this. He loved you. He loves you. He loves you so much that he sent his son to die in your place so that that damaged image, that sin-damaged image could be made whole. He knows your heart. He knows you because he made you. He put you together as you are. He knew who you would be before you were born. Before that ultrasound showed anything in there, he knew you. And he loves you intensely. That's why it's so powerful to see what the Bible says the follow-up is after you know Jesus. Paul wrote another letter, and in that letter to another church, he said this, that if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old is gone, the new has come. A new creation. Did you ever say to yourself, ah, I want to start again. I, I wish I could be new. God offers that to you. God offers you a new identity in Jesus. He's promised it for you. He's made it possible. He brought it about. Well, there's another aspect of sin another aspect of another door that we need to look at. 
I think back to a date that we all heard about on the news, although it's kind of been pushed aside in other tragedies that have come since then. But on October 5th in 2006, in a small rural town in Pennsylvania called Nickel Mines, there was a one-room schoolhouse. It was the schoolroom for multiple grades. It was in an Amish community, a community of men and women who seek to serve God and they sent their children to this school. And on that day in the morning, the peace of that rural setting was shattered. In that morning, human evil appeared in the form of a man named Charles Carl Roberts IV. He was a 32-year-old milkman. He burst into the schoolroom with multiple weapons. They discovered later he had over 600 rounds of ammunition. He had planned this well. He immediately required that all the boys would be removed from the classroom and all the other older adults, the other adults, and they all left. It left 10 girls. The youngest was six years old. The oldest was 13. 10 girls. He nailed the door shut from the inside. He wanted to make sure that no one could stop what he intended to do. He bound the girl's hand and foot. The oldest girl offered herself. Her English was rather limited because they speak in that community a, a kind of German, Swiss German, and uh, she did the best English she could, and she said, take me instead and let everybody else go. But he had a plan, and he intended to carry it out. The police came far sooner than he thought they would. He didn't have the time. In nine minutes' time, they were there. And when they called to him and told him to come out, he began to shoot. His intention was to kill every one of those girls. Several of them were shot multiple times. Five of them died on the spot. Evil walked into that classroom that day of a magnitude that our minds hardly can grasp. Why would a man do this? He told the girls later, he told the girls, and it was repeated later by some of those who survived, that he was angry at God. That was his reason. They had not done anything to him. The funerals for these five girls were held the next week. And of course, the whole community came out and went to the funerals. But what was utterly astounding was the fact that not only did the community go to the funerals of these five girls, but they reached out, this Amish community reached out to the wife of the killer. They invited her to come and be comforted along with them because she experienced a loss. They went as a body to her husband's funeral to support her and her children. They decided that love was stronger than hate. They decided that they would choose to forgive rather than to hate, rather than bitterness. They made that radical, radical choice. This door represents that schoolhouse, that place of violence. 
It's the door of radical forgiveness. It's the door that changes lives. You see, not only did they go to the funeral and comfort this man's wife, but as money poured in to help with the medical expenses of the surviving girls, they insisted, the leaders of the community insisted, that a portion of it was set aside to take care of the widow and her children. They could have taken it all and said, this is ours, we deserve this, but they insisted on sharing it. That, my friends, is what love looks like. That's what it looks like when you have your sight set on Jesus and you know that your heart is right with him and you are safe in him and so you can give it all up and entrust it to him. Radical forgiveness. Radical love. That's what this door is. You and I have experienced radical forgiveness in the coming of Jesus Christ. As he was nailed to that cross, one of the things he said is, Father, forgive them because they do not know what they're doing. Forgive them. He spoke in love from that cross. Radical forgiveness. Maybe you know that you need to forgive someone. Maybe there is something or someone in your life that you are harboring bitterness against and it is chewing up your soul. It's changing you. It's corrupting your character. It's like you have a cancer of the soul because you have become so focused on that bitterness. Maybe you need to forgive someone. Maybe you need to be forgiven. Maybe you know that. Easter is the day of the celebration of God's people. And this would be the perfect day to walk through this door by yourself, maybe with someone else. Maybe you need to take some steps to experience that the immeasurable greatness of his power in your life. I once talked about forgiveness some years ago, and afterwards a woman came to me and told me that she had not talked to someone in her family for, I think it was 12 years. There needed to be forgiveness. There needed to be freedom. There needed to be moving forward. This is a good day to do that, to experience the immeasurable greatness of God's power in your life. That power of resurrection is also great enough to release you from anything that enslaves you. It can give you a new identity. It can free you from bitterness. It can let you live in forgiveness and walk in forgiveness, but it also, it also can free you from the things that enslave you. Slavery in the flesh takes many forms. For those of you on this side, you can't quite see this door, but it looks like a prison door. There's a chain across the door. When Jesus came, he opened the chain. He set the captives free. This slavery, this imprisonment of the soul takes many forms. It looks like an addiction to pornography. It looks like an addiction to alcohol. It looks like an addiction to various kinds of drug abuses. It's slavery of the soul. You say to yourself time and time again, I want to be free. I can't bear this. It has a hold on, a hold on me. And I need to be free of it. I want to be free. You need to experience the immeasurable 
greatness of his power that raised Jesus from the dead. You need to experience that in your life. Maybe there are other things that are enslaving you. Not the kind of things that we would say are clinical things, but maybe you are enslaved by the pursuit of money and power. Maybe you just think that I've got to work, I've got to work, I've got to work. That's the thing, that's the goal, that's the purpose of life. And behind you is a family that's suffering. Your wife, your children, your husband, someone is crying out, I need you here, Mom. I need you here, Dad. I don't need you to make more money. I need you. I need your time. But you can't seem to break free. You can't seem to, to get let go of it and trust God. And so you have to press on. Or maybe it's the pursuit of power. You need to be able to control people. And it just damages people. You damage people in the pursuit of this, and you are addicted to power. Perhaps you have a fear of dying. Perhaps it is such a thing that, and I've known people that have told me this, they're afraid to sleep at night. They're afraid to go to sleep because they're afraid they might die in their sleep, and they fear death more than anything else. As a person gets older, they begin to see that all those around them are dying. The fact is that all the statistics prove this. Everybody dies. But we fear it. We don't want it to happen. It's, it's bad when it happens to someone else, worse when it happens to someone near us. But us, and some of you are enslaved to that fear of death. And it is keeping you from living life to the fullness. It is keeping you from doing what you need to do. It is keeping you from enjoying the richness of life in Jesus and knowing the immeasurable greatness of his resurrection power in your life. Maybe you need to walk through a door like this so that you're free. You know that in Jesus you've been set free from various prisons. A man I know gave up everything because he was imprisoned by lust. His self-respect, his wife's respect, his marriage, his job, everything went because he was a slave to it. He was held in prison. And some of you have given up hope that you can ever be free. And I want to tell you today that you believed a lie. Because Jesus came that you might be set free from sin, from the power of sin and the penalty of sin. Jesus came that you might be set free. There can be no better day that I can think of in which you declare that freedom and you declare it anew. There is a fourth door on the floor here. It's actually the fifth door, but it is the fourth door that we're looking at here. And this door is really the door that is key to every other one. It is a door that opens up and releases the possibility of this immeasurable great power being shown in your life. Because these things, I don't want you to be confused. I don't want you to say, think, well, okay, I can go and do a symbolic act and I can be set free. It's not you. It's not in your power. That's why people that struggle with various addictions, they go to someone and they've discovered that everyone, in order to be set free, has to have what has come to be called a higher power.
You have to have someone who has the key to the door to set you free. That higher power, the only higher power, is God himself. To know God himself is to know this great power that he wants to unleash in your life and that will apply to your life today. This door is a very plain door. It has no decoration at all. It is just a plain door. We read in the word of God that God sent his son in the form of a man. He came as an ordinary human being. And coming as a human being, it says that he had no form or comeliness that we would like him. He was not this handsome, rugged guy. He was an ordinary human being. It's a plain door. But this is the door. This is the door. This is the one that some of you today need to walk through. This is the one in which you acknowledge that you have tried to live without a Savior, in which you've tried to live in your own power, and you've tried to deliver yourself, and you've not been able to do it, and you know that you need a Savior. You need a Savior with the kind of power that can set you free for all of eternity as well. Some of you need to walk through this door. You need to know Jesus. You need to know him as your Savior. So these doors all come together. Jesus said, I am the door. What a great suggestion for some physical thing that we can look at to understand. Jesus said, I am the door. I'm the way to God. Now, that's not a popular thing to say in this day. Everyone's trying to offer all kinds of spiritual ways. There's only one way to God, and that's through Jesus Christ. There's only one way to heaven, that's through Jesus Christ. And that, we're not trying to apologize for that. We're not trying to add to that. There's nothing to add. It is Jesus and Jesus alone. He is hope. He is life. And there is no other place. Jesus is the door. This door is a plain door, also because it's not a complicated thing. I was amazed to discover when I was 21 years old that God loved me, which I was taught from the time I was a little boy, but that God was in pursuit of me, relentless pursuit. And even though I knew some things from the Bible that I was taught all the way from the time I was a child, no one ever explained to me, and I was kind of dense about this, that I had to do something. I had to make a choice. I had to choose to trust in Jesus as my Savior. I couldn't save myself. And thank God someone sat down next to me in the basement of a home on the north side of Chicago and asked me a simple question, if I were to die, would I go to heaven? And I said, yes. And they said, why? And they said, well, because Jesus died for my sin. That's what I said. And I knew that that was the right answer because I had read that in a book when I was little. And I went home that night and I knew that I was a liar. God was telling me, you, you lied. You don't know me. You don't know that you're going to heaven. You don't know what you said you know. And that was the thing, that question that some friend asked me that changed my whole life. I took the biblical knowledge that I had and I realized I have to choose. I have to trust in Jesus. I have to make a decision. Jesus is waiting. All I had to do was trust in him. And when I say trust, I, I mean by trusting in him, I, I mean taking 
all the confidence you have of being good enough to get to heaven and throwing that in the trash and knowing that you can't do it on your own. Jesus did it for you. You can't add anything to what he did. That's what I mean by trusting in Jesus. And some of you need to walk through that door today. I want to tell you, you don't have to do any, you're all dressed up, you're all looking fine today, but you know what? God's not impressed with that. Man looks on the outward things, but God looks on the heart. And he knows the condition of your heart. And he wants to reach you today. You can come with your shame, with your failure. You can come with your sin. The things that you won't even acknowledge to anyone else that you know about, you can come because he's ready to receive you as you are. And he's also made another promise. He said to everyone who received him, he gave the power to become the sons of God. He's given that to you. And all you have to do is respond. All you have to do is receive him. There is only one faith in the whole world that is based on the resurrection of its founder. We saw that in that video clip at the very beginning. All the other founders of religions are dead. They're still in their tombs. But Jesus Christ has blown the vault door of death open and he is alive today. Christ is risen. Oh, you know that well. Do you know it in your heart, though? Do you know it in your heart? In a moment, as we sing a closing song, I'm going to give you an opportunity to respond. I believe that God has brought you here for a purpose today. I believe that God has brought you here because he wants this day to be a day of liberation for you, for you to experience the immeasurable greatness of his power towards you that he showed in the resurrection of Jesus from the dead. And here's how we're going to do this. There's a, a verse in the Old Testament in the book of Ezekiel that's kind of intriguing. He's describing the worship in the new temple, how it's going to be. And he says in one place that everyone who comes from the, through the south gate should leave through the north gate. And everyone who comes through the north gate should leave through the south gate. And you read that and say, well, what in the world is that about? Why can't they just go out the way they came in? And that's exactly the point. When you come into contact with the living God, you can't go out the way you came in. You have to be different. You have to leave in a different way, in the sense that you've changed from within. So here's what I want to ask you to do. As we sing a closing song here, we're all going to be standing together, and I want to invite some of you to come down. I want to invite all of you to come down, as you will, will, from the balcony, from the main floor, but come and choose a door. Some of you need to walk through this door. Some of you need to be set free. You know your soul is imprisoned by something that's, that's captured you. You need to walk through this door. Some of you need to walk through this door of a new identity. You've listened to the lies that have told you that you're worth garbage long enough, and you need to walk through a new door. You need to symbolically embrace who Jesus is. Some of you need to radically forgive or be forgiven. This door, I suggest, some of you might need to walk through with somebody else, maybe someone here. Maybe you need to walk through arm in arm because you know that this is a day that you cannot leave the way you came. You need to be different. And some of you need to walk through this very plain door. Some of you need to meet Jesus as your Savior today. Now, we are not going to be, there's no one hiding behind the doors, okay? I want you to know that the band is back there, they'll be playing, but they'll be occupied. 
they're not looking for you. So I don't want you to think we've got people hiding back there to get your name and put you on a list or something like that. We're not doing that. If you want to talk with us, we're available. We'll be downstairs afterwards. We want to talk with you, and we have many people who are capable to counsel with you and meet with you. But I want you to take a, a move today. I want you to do something. And I invite all of you to participate in some way to walk through one of these doors. I don't want you to leave the way you came. I want you to experience the change of God. Some of you need to walk down the stairs and come down those stairs and walk up the aisle. And you just come through here. And if you come from the balcony, you don't have to climb all the way back up. Just stand in the back. Okay? Uh, you can walk through the door, walk off the stage. We want to praise God for what he's about to do in your life. Let's all stand as we sing a song. Hallelujah, what a Savior.